0: And I want to share with you the final message in a series that we've been in since, uh, I believe it was before Thanksgiving, leading up to Thanksgiving, and it's our how-to series. We've taken time to look at... Uh, just some practical pieces in our lives as a follower of Jesus Christ and what that looks like, how we take what God's Word says and we put it into action, we put it into application in our lives. We paused the last three weeks because of missions convention, a time where we've allowed the missionaries, different ones to come and to speak to us and challenge us. Uh, beginning next week with Easter Sunday we're launching a new series called Joy Story and we're going to take some time to look at the the book of Philippians and look at how the resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms our everyday's transforms our challenges so that Jesus can be seen and so that we can continue to draw closer to him so i hope you'll join us next week i hope you'll invite someone bring them with you as we begin our study in the book of Philippians as i'd mentioned we concluded our missions convention uh, last week and If you're like me, when those times come and the missionaries come and we get to hear the different stories and just see all the different ways that God's working in our world. My, my life is challenged, my heart is stretched and how God's working around the world, and I, I really just get a picture of how we can be a part, and for us financially, for us in prayer, for us in relationship, just how we can be a part in what God's doing in our world. But then as we move past Missions Convention, the missionaries head back to wherever they're at, and some of them, many of them I'll stay in touch with and will interact with from time to time. But I found that if you're like me, my life settles right back into the routine that I've had. You have the routines and schedules and parenting and work and appointments and everything else that happens, and so your life kind of just plugs right back into the ordinary, the routine, and your heart's been stressed, your heart is hungry, but there's this routine that you kind of just settle into. Anybody else like that? Just me this morning, a couple of us. (laughs) But your heart just kind of settles back into that routine and your life does, but yet your desire is, God, I just wish you'd use me and I wish that you would use me in incredible ways that I have been challenged by in the last few weeks. And when I look in Scripture, what I have come to realize and come to understand when I see the the real-life story of men and women in the Bible and how God used them, we, we look at the stories in the Bible, much like the one we're going to look at this morning, and we look at these stories and we get a picture that becomes a snapshot that for us can become, I think, larger than life, these big moments. We're like, how did God use this? Use someone, I think of Joshua, I think of Caleb, or I think of these men, and we're just like, these guys are like superheroes. But in reality, they're just everyday people living everyday lives that God said he wanted to use, and they were willing to be used. So he took their ordinary, and he made it extraordinary, and he used it. I'd like to show you this morning from one encounter in the gospel on how Jesus takes an everyday, ordinary moment in the life of of an ordinary person, and he transforms it to reveal the love and the grace of God through his interaction with them. And so this morning, I would love to conclude our how-to series by sharing with you a message that I've called How to Share Your Faith. We're to- we've just concluded Missions Convention. We're going into Easter. We've given you uh, Easter invite cards. And so I just want to share with you a message on simple ways that you can share your faith and be, a- be an avenue to bring Jesus into the lives of others. The story we're about to look at in this morning, if you've read through the gospel, specifically the gospel of John or you've been around church for some time, it may be an individual and a story that you're very familiar with, a person you've heard of. The unique thing about this story found in John chapter 4, we don't know this person's name, It's a story of a woman. We don't know her name. We only know her location and the place where this conversation and this encounter took place. And it's a story of the woman called the woman at the well. Look with me in John chapter 4. I want to read verses 1 through 38, but we're going to read it through in little segments and just talk about it as we go. And I'll show you some things from the encounter with Jesus that he does, and then we'll look for ways to apply them into our lives. So John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Let's read verses 1 through 8 for now. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And let's just pause there for just a moment. A couple of quick details that I want to share with you, and then I'll give you uh, one of the first things Jesus does in this encounter with this woman. A couple of very small details are just part of the story, and as, as I mentioned, if you've read it before, you, your mind kind of fills in the details that you've heard before, but a couple of details that are really important for us to understand is first is where this whole event takes place. It says that Jesus was in the in, in Samaria, and to understand Samaria, we we see Samaria surface from time to time in the scriptures. You you may be familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. The person's kind of become the hero, the person of uh, that Jesus uses in, in a parable. But in reality, the Samaritans were anything but good to Jews. The, for Samaria, to understand the history, you have to have a little bit of a Old Testament history to understand what, what took place. And there was a time, if you read in the Old Testament, that the nation of Israel was one nation, and then through rebellion and through a number of things, the nation was split into two kingdoms, and in those two kingdoms, then ultimately God, because they continued to turn their back on God, continued to reject God, continued to reject his ways. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them, to call them back to him. They continued to reject him. So ultimately, God used two different kingdoms or world powers in that time, the Babylonians and the Assyrians to come in and to bring, be a a form of judgment and ultimately to defeat those two nations in different times, different periods, but both took place. And so in that time, as those kings came in and those, those armies came in, what they would do is they would do what you would call an exile. You may have read about that in the Old Testament, an exile. And so the kingdom would come in, the army would come into the land that was defeated. They would take the brightest and the best, ones like Daniel, you may be familiar with, Shadrach, Meshach. As sure other other ones who were a key part, very significant individuals, and they would deport them into the foreign land. They would send them away. And then, as they would send them away, you now have this land that has been defeated and is, is now a part of the, the national territory, but needs occupants to live in it. So they would then take other countries they had defeated and they would import those people into the land. So they'd take the nationals, they would export them, and they would import new people and leave a few people behind. And And the whole purpose behind that was really to defeat any national pride, any nationalism, any sense of rebellion, any sense of rising up. People who were coming in weren't familiar with the land. You had language barriers. You had all these custom barriers. The the heart of the people, the core of the people had been exported. So you kind of just created this, this mess in the land. And that was one of the ways that they continued to maintain their authority. And so in that time, you had the different countries and the different lands who had been imported. And so in that time, over the years that, that lasted, different ones, you'd have guys and girls fall in love, relationships would happen, and you'd have families that were formed. You would have men or women from the people who were left who would be marrying men or women who were exported or imported, rather, from other countries. And so you had these individuals who were half Jew, half not Jew, and they had, ultimately, because they had parents, one was left over from those who had, did not leave, others, one from who had come in. And so you kind of had this new race of individuals who had been created. So when it came to Samaria, this is the group of people that were now that had been formed out of those groups of people coming and going. And so for the Jews who were living in Palestine in Jesus' day, the land was divided into three parts. You had the northern part where the Jews lived and you had the southern part where the Jews lived and right in the middle was the land called Samaria. This is where all of the Samaritans lived. Jews who wanted to travel from the north to the south or from the south to the north had to travel through Samaria to get to the other places where the Jews had lived. So it was a, very, it was a land that they looked, as, looked at as being detached It reminded them of a time in their national history they were not proud of. It reminded them of a time that they'd been beaten and defeated. And it really reminded them of compromise because they would see people who were from from products of intermarriage and it was something that God had told them not to do. Now, just to add to that, to add to the tension that's already there, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named Ezra that God uses to lead a group of exiles back to the land of Israel. And in his coming back, God uses him and puts on his heart to rebuild the temple. So he brings a a group of Israelites back from exile, back into the land of the nation of Israel, back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And as he brings them back to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans who are now there, the, the mixed race, they're excited that they've returned and they want to help build the temple. And Ezra and the Jews tell them, absolutely not. You're not having any part in building this temple. This is going to be something that we're going to build according to the way God has designed it, according to the way scripture has given it. Only, we're only going to allow Jews to build this temple. And so they, they really, they offended them. They'd created this continued division between the two. So the Samaritans went off and they began to build their own temple on the place where Jesus is now having this conversation with this woman. So they've gone off to build their own temple. And then in addition to that, they began to distort the Jewish history to favor their line and their race. The Samaritans looked at themselves as being half Jew... Jews looked at Samaritans as being half foreigner. So you have this tension, you have this conflict that's taking place as Jesus is there in Samaria and now he's sitting and talking with the Samaritan woman. You add to that from the story of what we've just read, another very small but important detail to pull into the picture and to understand. The story tells us that this woman comes to the well as Jesus is there tired from his journey and she sits there and Jesus sits there and the woman comes and it says she comes to draw water at at noon at the heat of the day. And so to understand from that, typically, culturally, what would take place in this day is the women would, it was culturally, the women would go and get the water, and they would go in groups. They would go together, they'd talk together, they'd be together, they would uh, help. It's much like today, women, when you go to the bathroom or a different things, it's just they'd go in groups. And so the women would go in groups to go and get the water, and as they would go to get the water, they'd help each other, but they would often go in the morning when it was cooler, in the evening when it was cooler. They would not go at noon and they would not go in the heat of the day and they would not go alone. That was another measure of even just for protection. And so the fact that you have this woman coming at the heat of the day, at middle of noon, coming alone, middle of the day, coming alone, is a sign to where she stands in her community. She's viewed as an outcast. People don't wanna be with her. She she lives a very different lifestyle than what most would, Uh, for the women, they look at her with disgust. Probably the men look at her with lust, looking at her lifestyle and she would rather face the burn and the heat of the day than the burn of the conversations and the looks of others when she would come with the others would be there. And so you have all of this happening in the story, and Jesus sits down at the well and begins to talk with this woman. When, when she begins to have this conversation with Jesus, when we get to the end of the story, we'll see that this encounter with Jesus changes Everything. It changes her countenance. When she goes back to her people, they see something's different about her. It changes her hope. It changes her outlook. It changes her worship. But it begins with an encounter with Jesus. And the first thing I want you to see from this encounter that Jesus has with this woman that we can take and we can learn from, the first thing that Jesus does is he was available. Jesus was available. If you look in the story, look at verse four. We've already read this. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. It says he had to go through Samaria. I've already told you about the geographical location, how the north and the south and Jews had to travel through, through Samaria. And so there's the geographical meaning behind that, but there's a little bit more implied behind this. Not just merely that he had to go through Samaria by way of physical but rather, I really believe that it's implying and it's identifying that there's this divinely orchestrated moment about to take place. See, Jesus had to leave where he was at when he did to arrive at the well when he did, when the woman came out to get the water when she did. That there's a divine moment that's unfolding in this, in this story at noon in the heat of the day at the well, a very divine moment that's being orchestrated. And Jesus had to leave when he left where he was to be able to be a part of what God was doing. And so the first thing that Jesus does in this encounter that we can learn from is that he was available. The story tells us that he was tired. He'd just been traveling. He would have been hot and dusty. He was at the. It was noon. It was hot. He sits down by the well, just very tired, as we'll see from the custom. When Jews and Samaritans encountered each other, they normally didn't talk to each other. They normally didn't uh, acknowledge each other. So, just by custom alone, Jesus had every right to stay quiet and not to acknowledge this woman. But Jesus chose to be available and i think he chose to be be available because when you look just a chapter later in john 15:17 jesus is talking about how god the father is working through his life and in john 15:17 jesus acknowledges and he says god the father is always working so therefore i am always at work He says, because God's always working, I too realize that I have a part in how God's working. So Jesus recognized that because this this moment had taken place, this intersection had taken place in his life with this woman, he recognized God the Father must be at work in this woman's life because he's allowed her life to intersect mine. Let's read on. Look in John chapter 4, verse verse 9, and I'll give you the second one. We're going to read verses 9 through 15. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did all his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The second thing I want you to see is, first, Jesus was available. The second thing I want you to see that Jesus does in this encounter is that he lets her belong before she believes. Jesus chose to let this woman belong before she believes. If you look in the story, just the very fact, as I've mentioned, that he's talking to her is, a, is something that would normally not have taken place. Jews did not talk to a Samaritan, they didn't associate with Samaritans, they didn't want anything to, they didn't want to touch anything that a Samaritan had used, and yet here's Jesus asking for a drink from her own water pitcher. Additionally, a rabbi in Jesus' day would not be seen in public talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan, but yet Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher, is there. That's why his disciples are so surprised when they come back and they find him talking to this Samaritan woman. They're saying, here's a rabbi, a Jew, talking to a Samaritan woman, drinking out of a utensil that she's just used. What? This doesn't add up. But Jesus chose to let her belong before she believed. If you'll notice, he didn't wait for her to come to him and ask for a drink of living water for life in him. He didn't wait for her to acknowledge her living situation, the sin that she was in. Jesus did not wait for her to acknowledge that she needed help understanding worship and worshiping God correctly. Jesus didn't wait for her to acknowledge that he was the Messiah. All of those things would come in the conversation, but he really begins by just conversing with her, by letting her belong long before she believed. Let's Let's read on in verse number 16. He said to her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you have said you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet as time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one, who's, one speaking to you, am he, am he. The third thing Jesus does in this interaction with this woman that I think we can learn from, the first thing is he's available. The second thing is he, he allows her to belong before she believes. The third thing that I want you to see that Jesus does is he fills natural conversation with supernatural truth. Jesus fills natural conversation with supernatural truth. If you look throughout this conversation Jesus is having with her, At no time is he odd or awkward. There's not any point in this conversation with her that that he is condemning or talking down to her or speaking poorly to her. He's not quoting chapter and verse, but rather he's taking very deep, real spiritual truths and realities about who God is, and he's applying them into her life without being sidetracked. He's talking to her in very natural terms, and very natural ways, and he's sharing with her the, the, the truth of who God is, but in a very natural conversation. And it ultimately leads to such radical change in her that she goes away, and she begins to share with those people in her town, and they come back to hear Jesus. And then at least Jesus does one more thing in this conversation in this this interaction, and I want you to see it at verse 27. And this is Jesus then directs his disciples to focus on the right things. He directs them to get their eyes up and to get their eyes out. Look in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, Where, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And uh, Experts in, in language would say that the wording here would not merely suggest a few dozen, but really it suggests hundreds, if not thousands, are drawn to come and encounter Jesus because of what they're seeing being different in this woman who's had this encounter with Jesus. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have had food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, It's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and, the harv- and harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. See, Jesus directs his disciples to get their eyes up and out on the right things. It says they've just come, they've been traveling with Jesus, so they're certainly hungry and tired as well. And as Jesus is sitting there at the well, they've gone to town to get food, they bring it back, and so as they come back, no doubt are they not only tired, but now they're extremely hungry because they've been carrying the meals that they've been smelling as they're bringing it back to Jesus. So they sit down, and they don't have forks and knives and spoons like you and I do today, so they're eating with their hands, and they're most likely looking down at their food, eating, they're focused on themselves, focused on their need, focused on what they, they want. And Jesus encourages them to his disciples, he encourages them to begin to focus on the right things in the moment. He begins to focus them on telling them to get their eyes up and out on what's taking place around them. To see the hundreds who are coming because of this encounter this woman had with him and to see the opportunity that they had to be a part of what God was doing in the lives that they were being entrusted with. That God was bringing an encounter into their life to be a part of, to let Jesus, the hope that they have in Christ, to then be shared with others. So from these four things that we see from Jesus, just in this very simple encounter with this woman, I'd love to go back and look at them again, but look at them through the lens of giving you a way to apply them. See, James chapter one, verse 22 tells us not to merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It says that when we sit in a moment like this, when we sit through a message or we sit and we read God's word, that when we read it and we hear it and we understand it, that if we take what we've understood, that truth, but we've failed to put it into application, then we position ourselves for a place of deception. And so what I'd love to do this morning is to take what we've just talked about and to give you four ways to then put into application in your life, even as you leave today or as you leave into in the coming days leading up to Easter. So four ways to apply the first one is be available. Jesus was available. Let's, so let's begin by being available. I believe that most divine encounters that God sends our way are missed at this level. I believe that most of the opportunities that God puts in front of you and me are missed at this point of being available, recognizing that God desires to include you and to include me in how he's working in our world, and it begins by being available. We all have schedules and routines and calls and emails and things and everything that takes time. And most often, I believe the biggest divine encounters that God's going to bring to us are going to be introduced into our lives disguised as an interruption. And so, as coming as an interruption, I believe the first way that we can be a part is by being available. Have you ever considered? Jesus said, John 15:17. I shared it with you a moment ago. He said, "God the Father is always working; therefore, I'm always at work as well." That God the Father is still always at work. That he's still working even in our day, in your day, in my life, in your family, in your circumstances, in our community, in your neighborhood, he's still at work. And so therefore, God is always working, looking to reveal Jesus to people around us. So have you ever stopped to consider that the very fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in here this morning, have you ever considered the fact that just because you're interacting with someone who's not a believer is a sign that God's at work in their life? Think about that. That because you have the hope of Jesus Christ in you, that if God causes your life to intersect with someone or he's placed someone in your workplace, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your family who is not in relationship with him, the fact that your two lives have intersected is a sign that God is already working in their life. Many times we pray that God would give us a sign failing to realize that we are the sign we're the sign of what he's doing. We're the sign of how he's working, that God is always at work, and he wants us to join him and how he's working. Look with me in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 20. It says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It says we are Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives. We are the ones that he's using. And he uses my availability and your availability in the lives of people around you to let Jesus be seen. Second thing I want you to really see that we can apply into our own lives today is not just merely being available. But the second thing is give others space to belong. If you remember, Jesus allowed the woman to belong well before she believed, and just encourage you to find ways to allow others to belong. When it came to this encounter that Jesus had with this woman, that when you look at it, her life was transformed and changed by the words of Jesus when they were backed with the life and the love of Jesus. Think about the impact of that, the words of Jesus being backed by the life and the love of Jesus. Many times we interact with people and we can very, be very quick to offer a verse or to offer a scriptural truth, and they're accurate, but what we can't forget is many times people are not lacking on understanding what the Bible says as much as seeing what the Bible says put into action in our lives, to see our lives demonstrating the life and the love of Jesus. But I really believe that that being available leads to giving others space to belong. And the greatest witness that can come out of that is being willing to let our lives demonstrate the love of Jesus to those that are around us. If you look in the story that we we looked at, beginning in verse number 40 and and just a few verses after that, it says that after the the people came out of town and they met with Jesus and, and encountered him, that Jesus went back and he lived with them. He stayed with them for two days that he was willing to do life with them. He was willing to settle in and, and be with them, to let them join him in life. And in this encounter that Jesus had with this woman, in verse 23, he, he revealed to her that God was searching for her that God had been looking for her. He didn't tell her how much she had to get all cleaned up and how much she had to change in her life. He made it clear to her, God's been looking for you, and he demonstrated that by being available. And I think in our own lives, when it comes to the the people we interact with and those we encounter, that, that being available leads to allowing people to join us in life to join us in the journey of life, the highs and the lows and the challenges and everything that's there that we just begin to partner with them. I can remember a few years ago working with college students and there was an individual who came into our group and as he was in our group and we just started talking, we found that we had a common interest in running at the time. And as we we just started running together, and as we started running together and just talking about life and, and his job and, and just where life was at, as we begin to run together, our conversations begin to, to have a spiritual nature in things, and we begin to read a book together and talk about a book while we're running, and just the transformation that came in his life because we were willing to spend time together and to hang out and to be together and allowing God to use those moments. I think the third thing that we can take and we can learn from in this conversation is not only being available, not only giving others space to belong, but third is, I believe, being natural. Just being natural. Realizing that we, we, don't have to, we don't have to force conversations. We don't have to be odd in conversations. We can just allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in those conversations as they take place. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, the Apostle Paul has just taken time to, lie, to lay out the, the spiritual armor and, and really the Christian life and the warfare that the Christian life really is, is about and the advancement and the spiritual battle that takes place. But then in verse 19, he finishes and he says, And pray for me that words may be given me so that I will fearlessly proclaim when I open my mouth. He says, pray that words will be given to me when I open my mouth. See, sometimes we want the words to be given to us and then we open our mouth. But he says, pray that words will be given to me as I've opened my mouth. That a reminder that sometimes it just takes being natural and being willing to step into a conversation and seeing where it leads Just this past Monday, I was meeting a pastor friend at a restaurant and we were there and we were talking and the waitress came up and took our drink order and went back and to get our food order. Just kind of the flow of things and many times it's very easy. We're in our conversation and we're polite to the person who comes, but we continue in our conversation and... And throughout we're just engaging this woman each time she comes to the table and out of our natural conversation she shared something with, with us that was a piece of her life and I talked with her about it. I had a connection with that from a piece of my life and just began to talk with her. It led to a conversation about her son and we ultimately prayed together and shared with her just about the hope that we have in Christ. But it all began by just being natural in the conversation and allowing God to take it and use it in that moment. I really believe for Each one here, a very small but a natural tool that we've provided are the Easter invites. The Easter invites are not merely a matter of see how many we can get here to church next Sunday, but rather it's a small tool to use an opportunity realizing, as Pastor David mentioned, many people on Easter, there's, there's an expectancy that many times they're going to be going somewhere, and because of the relationships that you have with individuals, it's a tool to be natural and to invite someone to join you in, in this small piece of life and believing that God is going to use that to bring change and transformation in their lives. But it does begin by opening your mouth. It begins by being willing to speak out. And then the, third, the fourth thing that I would share with you when it comes to how we can take and apply what Jesus has given us is not only to be natural, but to think big picture, to think big picture of how you have a part in the purposes of God as they're working out in your life and in our community, to think big picture and see your part. In, in the story we read in verse 35, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, to open their eyes and look at the harvest fields. He says, he says open your eyes and look around. See all that's transpiring and unfolding around you. Jesus many times in the Gospels would talk about individuals and he would describe them as having ears that don't hear and eyes that don't see. And when he talked about individuals who had ears that don't hear and eyes that don't see, he wasn't talking so much about physical eyes and physical ears as he was talking about spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. And what he was describing is he says you have people who go about their natural everyday life and they fail to even see that the the purposes and the priorities of heaven are unfolding all around them and they're oblivious to the fact of what God's doing because they fail to see their part and how God is working. For you and for me, the the best thing I believe that we can do that goes with being available is to see our part in the bigger picture of how God is working. In the story that Jesus was saying, he concluded that part with the disciples, and he said, The, the sower and the reaper harvest together. He says, it's, it's understanding the big picture that you have a small part in how God's working and what you may start here, God may use another to finish over here, but you do have a part in the process. I would just encourage you this morning when we look in scripture and we think about our lives, we think about our everydays, we think about our routines, we think about our schedules, we think about our challenges, we think about our limitations and we read stories like this in scripture, or read stories in other places, to be reminded that everything you read about in scripture, God is still doing. Everything we read in the Bible, God is still actively doing. The only thing that has changed are the people he's doing it through. That's the only thing that's changed. God is still working. God is still healing. God is still revealing. God is still empowering. He's still empowering with the gift of his spirit. He's still raising up individuals to be available, to be ministered through, to be able to share Christ. It simply is happening through those who are available. And so I would ask you this morning, and you can stand with me as we prepare to close. God desires to use your everyday, your natural day, your ordinary day, your boring day, whatever you might describe it as. He desires to use your day as you choose to be available and allowing him to work through you. So I would end by asking you this. What individual in your life has God entrusted you with? Who in your circle of influence has God entrusted you with because he's at work in their life because you're in their life? Let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you that you are at work. I thank you that you're at work in this moment, that you're at work in our lives. And that for many of us, God, there are people in our lives that you're waiting for us to move with availability in. And so, Lord, in this moment, we present our hearts to you and we present our lives to you and we present our schedules to you. And God, I pray that even in this moment, you would help us to See things as you see them. To see how you see our life and you see our availability and how you desire to use each and every part to let Jesus be seen through us. So friends, this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, before I open the altars for response and then dismiss those who desire to go, I shared with you from the story that Jesus shared that He said that he shared, told the woman that God had been seeking for her. If you're here this morning, and perhaps you came with a friend, you came with an acquaintance, you came with family, or you've been here, you'd recognize that in this moment you may have done the church thing, you may have been around church, but you've not entered into relationship with Jesus Christ. Then I would tell you that God's been searching for you. He's been looking for you. And he's brought you into this moment, into this place to remind you of that, to remind you of his grace and his mercy and the forgiveness that he he extends through Jesus Christ. And friends, the only way that that becomes a reality in our lives is not by being in this building, not by singing the songs or even praying a prayer that I can lead you in. It comes to a place of recognizing in your own heart and life a place of what the Bible calls repentance, turning from our sin and turning towards Jesus and placing our trust and our faith in him. And if that's you this morning, friends, you're at a place where you recognize that you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you with no one looking around, would you raise your hand just so I'm able to see that and and know who you are and pray for you? I see your hand, thank you. Thank you for being honest. Is there anybody else this morning you would look at your life and you say, I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ? For that one who raised your hand and perhaps there's others who just did not raise your hand, I would encourage you. I, at the end, you're gonna see leaders on either side of the sanctuary this morning and I would encourage you to find them and let them pray with you and they've got some material we can put in your hand. But the most important thing is the conversation that you have with God standing right there right now. Beginning to open your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give you control of my life. I ask you to forgive me of living for self and I ask that you take away my sin. The Bible says that with that heart confession before God, that in that moment he comes and he makes us into a brand new individual and he restores us into relationship with him. So if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would encourage you to find our leaders on either side. And then for others this morning, as Pastor Kyle begins to sing, I just want to open the front as a place of response. To look in your life, and perhaps God's been bringing a person into your mind even as I've talked this morning. And you say, God, I present this week to you to be available, to allow you to use me to reach out to this person or to the people in my life. And I pray that you would help me to recognize the opportunities that you're putting in front of me, the divine invitations to be a part of how you're working in their life. That I believe that as God has put individuals on your hearts or you wanna come and present your life to God by way of being available for this coming week, would you come, gather around the front, find a place of prayer as Pastor Kyle leads in song.